We're going to be in Luke chapter 7, be picking it up in verse 18. If, uh, if you've been with us for a while, you'll know that we're in uh, the book of Luke. Last week, uh, my buddy Rob Mayer, uh, Pastor Rob Mayer uh, from Puyallup, Washington, preached, and he, he, uh, we thought we were going to be a little bit uh, ahead of where we were when he came to preach here, and, and so uh, he was actually ahead of us. So we're actually going back, and we're finishing this up, and we'll get up to that passage here in the next, uh, next few weeks. But... Um, we're, we're kind of in this season right now, or at least I'm in this season where, uh, and I, I, maybe I kind of feel like this over the summer, um, but uh, I, f- I feel like I kind of introspective and, and uh, I'm a little bit tired. I think I, I ran hard for the first uh, few months of, uh, of COVID and with the quarantine and all that stuff. And um, I ran hard because we were trying to figure out how to do church uh, on, a, on a regular Sunday and and how are we going to do this? And every week there's multiple decisions that we have to make. And so I've had this kind of decision fatigue and, and stuff like that. Although God is clearly working here, uh, there's been kind of this weariness in me uh, over the last few weeks. And so uh, you'll forgive me if I feel a little bit, if I seem a little bit uh, low key and stuff uh, more than I am uh, in other times. But uh, feel, feel a weariness. And just, uh, I said two weeks ago, like as I, I, I'm, I'm in counseling like all the time. I have a, a great counselor who's out of town and he counsels pastors specifically. And so I, I sit, me and my wife sit with him and just listen to these words of wisdom. This guy's like Yoda on crack. And uh, I mean, he's just, just amazing. And I don't know what that would be like, but uh, he's, he's, he's an amazing, he's an amazing man. And he, uh, he just speaks uh, words of truth to me and just talks about how, we just need to see uh, who Jesus is more than just, uh, just knowing the gospel story of Jesus going to the cross. And that is pivotal that Jesus went to the cross for us. It, it, is, it is the crux, uh, literally, of the situation. Uh, but we sometimes don't really see what Jesus is like. And so we have another story here where we get to see what Jesus is like and really what we see in the life of this guy named John the Baptist is that he has this great opportunity, and really all of us have this great opportunity to just be offended by Jesus, to be offended by him. And I, I, don't, I don't know where, you, where you're at or what, what that's been like for you, to, how you felt about Jesus and what he's like or how your life has gone, um, whether you thought it should have been going better or, or wh- whatever the case may be. Maybe you're, in a, maybe you're in a difficult spot right now because of COVID or wh- whatever situation you have. I mean, there's a family in our church right now that is a great family, and they're just dealing with just difficulty after difficulty after difficulty. And, and, and in, in my flesh, I want to say, what did they do to upset God kind of? Uh, I don't know how, if you feel that way. I don't know if, you feel, if you've ever felt that way. But there's a great opportunity to be offended by God. And I, and I would just say this, that like, if you, if you haven't considered the fact that maybe you're offended by Jesus, then maybe you really haven't met the risen Jesus. Maybe you haven't experienced him on the level that, that he's asking you to experience him. Um, I, and I, I think that's very true of a lot of American Christians. See, we can, we can, we can come to church and, and we can appreciate great music and we can... Um, you know, get a good, a good, good word for the week, but that does not constitute discipleship in Jesus. Jesus has called us to be disciples. He tells his disciples to go and make disciples. And disciples are people who are learning from Jesus. They're, they're, they, they're bread, they're, they're living water, their sustenance is coming from Jesus himself. And I, I, I just am not entirely sure that I think that that's accurate of us, that that's who we are all the time in the American church. I think things get, get really comfortable. And just sometimes I, I just want to lovingly just show you, not more than sometimes, I just, I just want you to see that Jesus is, is really kind of offensive sometimes, but then there's some really great stuff uh, about him. And the offensiveness is not bad. It's, it's just, it's, it's who he is. And so have you been offended by Jesus, I guess is my question to you. But um, if you look at your passage here, in uh, <clears throat> Luke chapter 7, Jesus has just healed a young man, and he, he has uh, told him to raise from the dead, and uh, Jesus just says, arise, and the, the, the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave, gave him to his mother, 
And everybody sees this, and uh, it says in verse 16 of chapter 7, it says, Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and, and all the surrounding country. And so here's Jesus. He's, he's just done a resurrection. I mean, this is, this is pretty profound. And people are just like, whoa, this guy's a prophet. <clears throat> God has visited his people. And they're, they're impressed. They're, they, they, they don't know what to do with this. Well, you go to verse 18, and it says, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. So John the Baptist. There's two Johns in, in the New Testament, if you didn't know that. It can be confusing. But there's the Apostle John, who was a disciple of his that walked with him, and then there's John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was this guy who was prophesied about in, in Malachi. And then when he was born... Uh, in the early part of Luke, you see that this prophecy out of Malachi talks about him. In fact, let me, let me turn there real quick. Malachi chapter, uh, chapter 1, you don't need to turn there. Chapter 3, I'm sorry. It says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And so here's John. He's been, when he's born, like people think of this. His father uh, thinks of this, this uh, prophecy about this guy who is basically going to be a, a forerunner. He's like the opening act of Jesus. And he's a prophet, and he's really seen as like the last prophet of the Old Testament. Prophets in, in, in the Old Testament were guys who spoke for God. They, they talked about God. They, they gave God's word. They, they, they told the people what God wanted in their life. And so here's John the Baptist, and he's prophesied as a great prophet. And it says, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. Well, where's John? John is in prison because John's been speaking the truth to Herod, who has taken his brother's wife. And Herod's a bad dude. And so John starts speaking about, about Herod. John's been out in the desert. He wears like a burlap sack and a leather belt, and he eats locusts and honey. He's a weird, weird dude. He, I mean, he's, he is very, very strange. But he is a prophet of God. And he's speaking for God, and he's a forerunner of Jesus. In fact, one day he sees Jesus walking by as he's out preaching and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so here's John, and he sees Jesus, and he says, there he is. That's him. That's the Messiah. The Messiah is the one who's coming to save Israel, to bring about a new reign, to bring, uh, to bring about a new kingdom that's going to save them from their oppressors. And so John announces him, and this is he's fulfilling his prophetic Role that he is, he's the forerunner, he's the opening act of Jesus. And so he, he's proclaiming this, and, and, and yet he's in prison now because he spoke the truth about Herod, who's the ruler over that area at that time. And so it says, And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Is this the guy that we're waiting for? And tell me, like, I don't know, I don't know what's happening here. And, and commentators and scholars are kind of like, is he doubting? Is he, what's, what's going on? But John has had a lot of time. He sat in prison for a while. It might be a little bit about like us sitting in quarantine for a little while. But he's sitting in prison and he's going, he's going, is Jesus the one? Is he the guy that we've been waiting for? Is this the one that we've been anticipating because I'm starting to doubt. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to experience some disappointment. Maybe that's what John's saying. We don't know for sure, but maybe that's what he's saying. Are you the one? I don't know how, why else he'd ask that question. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we wait for another? And I don't know if you've been in, in that place. 
And you may not be now, maybe I'm preparing you for something later. God, let me put this better. God, the Holy Spirit is, is preparing you for something later through this passage. But like, there's, there's, this, there's this deal in Christianity. There's this preaching that is of the devil that says when you come to Jesus, everything is gonna get better. Your wife comes back, cars don't break anymore, You're, you, get the, you get the job, you get the house, you get the, you, get, you got it all. There's this myth that says that if you go and you do God's work, and it's something that's motivating too, it's like, man, if I do God's work, if I, if I tithe, if I give 10% of my, of my income, if, if I stop this, if I start that, if I tell these people, if I just make it to church occasionally, if I just watch the live stream, if I just, if I just, if I just, there's this sense of like, if I just do enough for God, then God will do something for me. But I just got to tell you that here is John. He's a prophet. He's the forerunner of Jesus and he's sitting in jail and he's saying, Am I following the right guy? Is this the right dude? Because I don't know right now. And I don't know where you are today, whether you feel like this or not. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight, and he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So what happens is that these guys ask, ask Jesus this question, and it's as if Jesus says, you want to know if I'm the one? Let me show you. And so he miraculously heals these people. What would that hour have been like to sit there and watch Jesus just see people walking up to him, and he, he touches a man's eyes. He heals someone's leg. He allows them to feel better after having uh, felt so bad for so long. Jesus is sitting there healing and they're watching this and they're just going, they're seeing all of these people that are coming up to him and, and they're just going, oh, this is amazing, this is amazing. And the false gospel that gets preached to us is that Jesus will always heal your physical infirmities. Jesus will always get you out of the jam that you're in. Jesus will always release you from the prison that you're in. But then Jesus says, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. And he uses some words that come out of the book of Isaiah that are talking about Jesus. They're talking about the one who's to come. They are they are prophecies about Jesus coming. And they're basically saying this, hey, look for this, look for that, look for the other thing, and, and look for this and this and this. And so he, there are several sections in Isaiah that you can look at and you can say, oh yeah, he's kind of using that phrase, he's using this phrase, he's using this phrase. But the key phrase comes from Isaiah 61, which I wanna turn to here briefly. Jesus had begun his ministry with this, this passage. He had gone into the temple courts. He opens up the scroll, and he begins to read this. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those, all those who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion. And it, it goes on. So Jesus is talking as though he's repeating this prophecy from Isaiah 61. And so he's using some of these words. And so when you get to this part where it says, the poor have good news preached to them. And so John's disciples go back to him and they say, and John's like, hey, so what did he say? What, what, what did Jesus have to say right then? And, and he's like, well, he said uh, that uh, the blind receive their sight. Check. All right. Awesome. Uh, the lame walk. Yes. Good. Saw that in, in, uh, in Isaiah as well. The lepers are cleansed. Boom. Incurable disease. That's amazing. Um, and the deaf here. Yes. Uh, the dead are raised up. Yes. The poor have good news preached to them. And, and is he going to say this next phrase? Uh, he says to bring good news to the poor. Yes. To bind up the broken heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Did he say to proclaim liberty to the captives? No. Did he say uh, the opening of the prison to those who are bound? He didn't. He didn't. What did he say next? Well, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Ah. What is, is Jesus saying to John? Hey, John, I know you're hoping. That the next words out of my mouth are, and everything's going to be fine. And everything's going to be okay. And you're going to be released from prison. Because these prophecies have this, like, this theme to them that goes into, like, Jesus is going to come in, and he's going to kick some butt, right? Jesus is going to come in, and the Messiah is going to release all the captives. He's going to bring about his rule and his reign, and then finally those rotten Romans are going to go away. But he doesn't say that. And he basically says, we're not there yet. Have you been disappointed with God on that level? Have you been disappointed with God on that level? I think sometimes I am. And I, I don't know what my expectations ha have been or are, because by all accounts, I was just talking to my brother, Tim, in the office before I came out here, and he's like, what do you have to complain about? And I'm like, nothing, everything's fine. I'm really getting real here, so I, I'm sorry, but it, there's just a sense of like, am I disappointed with God was, what was I expecting? My counselor asked me this the other day. What were your expe expectations? What were you expecting from God? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting from God. I don't know what I was hoping that he was gonna do. But there's just a sense of maybe disappointment with God, maybe an offense with God. Maybe I thought, you know, I got Jesus as my co-pilot and we're on this journey together and everything is going to fall right into place and sometimes it doesn't fall into place the way that I specifically wanted him to. Have you ever felt that way? Ever feel like not everything's happening the way that, it go, that, it, that you were hoping it was going to go? Your husband does not do the things that you want him to do. Your wife does not act in the way that you want her to act. You haven't gotten married yet. You haven't found the right one. The, it's, it's, you're on a treadmill and it just never seems to end. Is there disappointment with God? Jesus has a word for those who are not offended by his will in our lives. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. 
Because let me tell you something. This is the issue with our world. Our world is built on offenses. I am so sick and tired of listening to the media. I am so sick and tired of a one-sided approach by either the left or the right talking about this, this stinking pandemic. I watched the news last night like disgusted as they just reveal one side of this situation. And I don't want there to be sides. I just want it to be, to j- just to be. But our, our world is, and they, they show one thing after another. We should be offended by this. And these people are offended by that. And this should be an offense, and that should be an offense, and that should be offense. That our world is offended constantly. And Jesus says, he says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Why? Because there's lots of reasons to be offended by him. Our world believes that if you're offended, then someone's obviously done something wrong. And so therefore, they need to apologize or they need to go somewhere not good. They need to be canceled. They need to be ended. They need to be executed. They need to be whatever it is. Our world believes that if you're offended, then somebody's done something not good. And my fear is that there's many of us that claim to be Christians that have really not experienced the risen Jesus, that have really not experienced Jesus in, an, in, in the essence of who he is. Because you could do everything right. You could be a prophet that's foretold out of the Old Testament and then 400 years later, go and do amazing work for Jesus and go and preach in the desert and live like a hermit and sacrifice everything for Jesus, and Jesus still say, you're fine in prison. You're fine in prison. Are you able to receive that, Jesus? I just think it's like, it's kind of astounding to me. It says, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Jesus is asking these questions. He's saying, I think he's, he's sensing there's this great crowd around him. These disciples of John clearly come and they say, hey, are you really the one? And Jesus says, yeah, I'm the one. Here's all the reasons. And so there's all these people that are sitting there and they're just going, what does Jesus think of John? Because a lot of them had come to God through John. And so Jesus begins to say some things about John. Did you go into the wilderness to see a reed shaken by the wind? Did you go to see this guy who's like easily swayed one way or the other? He's just this this reed that's like blown back and forth by the wind, a person who doesn't really have a backbone or a spine, what's implicit is that the answer is no. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. Did you go out to see a guy who looks like a celebrity? Did you go out to see that kind of guy? And the answer is no. Like I said, he's wearing a burlap sack and whatever else. Eats like he's, he's homeless on some level. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. So Jesus is coming back and he's saying, is this, was this guy spineless? No. Was this guy some incredible uh, celebrity? No. But what was he? 
He was a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Here again is Malachi chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will, who will prepare your way before you. What's, the prophecy is saying this. It's saying, John is that prophet and I am the one whom John has been announcing. So it's a prophecy both about John and Jesus. Verse 28 says, I tell you among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus affirms the message of John. It's, it's, and what this tells us is this, is that John didn't screw up in some way. He's not some crazy guy. He is a prophet of God. And if a prophet of God, who's the forerunner of Jesus himself, can be sent to prison and not be released from prison... And yet still affirmed by Jesus, then that should say something to us about our relationship with God. That you could do everything right and you may still be sitting in prison. You could do everything right and you still might lose the child. You could do everything right and you still might lose the job. You could do everything right and your marriage may always be a disaster. You could still do everything right and you may never get married. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And yet Jesus says, he was a prophet of mine. Why'd you come to Jesus? Did you come to Jesus for his stuff? Or did you come to Jesus for him? Because sometimes I think I came to Jesus for his stuff. Because by all accounts, I should be blessed. And yet there's a part of me, some place in my heart that's offended. Did I come to Jesus so that it would be all lollipops and rainbows? Or did I come to Jesus because he's the king? And this is one of my favorite parts of this passage. 29, when all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. It, it just exposed something. That, that little parenthetical remark there that Luke throws in, is it, it, it exposes something. And what does it expose? It exposes the heart of those who are blessed because they're not offended by Jesus. It exposes the heart of them. What is the answer to that? The answer is this, when all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, all the people, all the common people, all the people who don't have it all together, all the people who seemed like they're just not really that impressive, they're just not really that cool. They don't really have their religion together, they don't really have what it takes. It's all of those people. And then who else? And the tax collectors too. He goes out of his way to say, it's not just the common people, but it's the tax collectors. The tax collectors, if you don't know this, are just swarthy individuals who had turned their backs on their own people. They're collecting taxes for the Romans, unjust taxes. They're, they're disloyal. They, they've, they've really offended the people around them. And they have tons of money. They are loaded. They're some of the only people who are rich in this culture from Israel. 
And here they are, and they have all this money, and they're the partiers. They're the drunkards. They're the ones who don't have it all together. They're the ones who did something last night, so they just start drinking first thing in the morning because they don't want to remember it. They're the ones, and instead of getting, instead of really thinking about the fact that everybody hates them, they just drown it out with substance. They drown it out with some kind of drug, whether it's money, sex, power. Because they have all this stuff at their hands. It's these common people who are just nobodies. And one day, they're walking along, minding their own business, and they hear about this guy, John the Baptist. And they hear that he's got like an incredible message. Because as they go along in their life and they experience like the fact that they are constantly offending people. And they know, like, they don't go to the temple and pray. They're not practicing Jews. They're, they're, they're not any of those things. They, they haven't darkened the door of the church for a while. They would not be let in. The common people who just don't have what it takes as well. They're, they're walking around with a sense of shame and guilt and pride and arrogance based in what they have or who they are. They have a shame that no one likes them. They haven't done enough to be right. Whatever it is, I mean, like, there's this, there's, the weight of the world is on them. And they're walking along, and somebody says, There's a guy that's out in the desert. And I went out there the other day, and he's by the swimming hole. And he is, he is preaching and hundreds of people are coming out to him and listening to him preach. Hundreds of people. And not the religious people. Why would that have been crazy? It would have been crazy because of this. Because the preaching happened in the temple. The preaching happened in the church. But this wasn't in the church. This was out in the middle of the desert. So God sends this guy, John, John the Baptist. He's out there preaching. And he is preaching about a holy God. And he's, he's teaching them and he's telling them, you have offended God. You have sinned against him. You are in a desperate place. You won't make it out. You cannot continue in this sin. You cannot keep this up you will be damned because of this. He's preaching this and he's telling them there is a holy God. And these people are listening and they're hearing and they're going, it's true, I have offended God. I have offended God. I have offended God. And so they say, what should we do? He says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And all these people who know that they don't have it together, all of these people who realize that their lives are jacked up, go. I'll take that deal. I'll take that deal. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, the really religious people, the people that know their Bibles, the people that have been doing this all their life, the people that grew up in the church, the people that know the drill, rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And let me just tell you this, that we are not the common people 
And we are not the tax collectors in here in many cases. We're the Pharisees and the lawyers. And we defend ourselves and we tell ourselves that we're okay. We tell ourselves that we don't have any problems. And we tell ourselves and we tell ourselves and we, we are offended by the message. We're offended by the message. And as a result, what happens is this, is that in many cases, I am not blessed because I'm defending myself against the love of God. I'm defending myself against admitting my failures. I'm, a, I'm defending myself against all of those things. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by them. And look at what Jesus has to say. He says, to what then shall I compare this peop- the, the people of this generation and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. What is that? Well, it's a saying that kids used to say to each other in the marketplace. That's as far as we know. And it's absurd. It's an absurdity. Jesus looks at this generation, the people who refuse to repent, and he says, I, we, <laughs> we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't weep. And what's he going to say about that? He says, for John the Baptist came eating, bre- eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say, he has a demon. John the Baptist was, was so weird that you were like, forget him. The son of man, that's Jesus, has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a, drunk, a, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus says, you won't receive John because he's, he's, he's too weird. He's like, he's got a demon. You won't receive me because you say I'm a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He says, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. The wisdom of God is seen to be true by the people who've received Jesus in all of his fullness. God's wisdom is seen in those who've truly received him. See, here's the thing. Jesus is so amazing because he's the guy that you would expect to be very solemn wouldn't be seen at various parties. He wouldn't go to those places. He wouldn't be a part of these things. But here is Jesus, and he's with those people so much. He's with the common people. He's with the tax collectors. It talks about him eating with these people all the time. It talks about these, these sinners, these people that know, like, I am so unworthy we're going to see another story next week about this. These people that are just like, I am so unworthy to even be around him. And it says that Jesus is known for being with them. He's a glutton and a drunkard, and he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And I just want you to think about this, that the wisdom of God is found in the fact that Jesus makes a friend of egregious sinners. I don't know how you walked in this morning. I don't know where you are this morning on the live feed here. But Jesus is your friend He's not just some solemn figure like John the Baptist was, although John the Baptist was doing God's work. He's not just this guy who's holier than thou, even though he is holier than thou. 
He's a friend of yours. And what does it mean to be your friend? It means this. It means that he loves you so much that he would lay his life down for you. He's the deepest friend that you could possibly have. He has laid his life down for you. But he's a friend that speaks the truth. He's a, fr- he's a really good friend. He's a friend that's not afraid of offending you. He'll leave you in prison if that's what it takes, if that's what his will is. He'll speak the truth into your life. And you are blessed if you are not offended by him. Our world has so many reasons to be offended right now. You know all of the reasons that people could be offended this day. But Jesus is not afraid to tell you that you are not your own. You are bought with a price. And so therefore, what you do with your body, how you use it in intimacy matters to him. How you deal with your sexuality matters to him, and he will offend you whether you like it or not, because he is your friend. What friend allows someone they love to walk off a cliff, to make a horrible decision, to create a disaster of their life? Jesus is your friend, and he will speak truth into your life. He'll speak truth through the community of faith. He'll speak truth through his word. If you're not in a place to be offended by the the friend of all friends, you have not received Jesus Christ as Savior. But let me tell you this. That Jesus, the the miracle worker, Jesus, the one who sat there and healed person after person, he is waiting for you. He's waiting to heal you. The invitation is to come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus will give you rest from all of your labors. Jesus is the friend who takes up your burdens. He takes up your sin. Everything that you are right here and right now. And more than that, he's glad to do it. You can't come to Jesus without your burdens. You can't come to Jesus without all of the ways that you've offended him. The Pharisees, the lawyers, the people that really knew their Bibles were not bringing their offenses to Jesus. They did not confess their sin to him. They did not bring it. And so they did not receive the will of God. But Jesus is beckoning you. He's inviting you. He's calling you. And he's speaking to you and to me. And he's saying, I am your friend. I love you so much that I would give it all up. I would give up my very life, and he did. He gave up his blood. He gave up his body for you and for me. See, my problem is this, is that I just find myself in this place where I I say, if I were a better pastor, then these things would take place. If I could just figure out how to love more, if I could be a more loving pastor, because I'm kind of rough around the edges. I don't know if you know me or not, but I'm not the softest dude. I'm just not. I'm a little prickly. And I just think to myself sometimes, like, man, if I could just be more loving, if I could just be more caring, if I could just be whatever, then I'd be, I'd be better at this. And Jesus is a friend 
and a lover of prickly pastors and jerk husbands and unfaithful wives and rejects and people who are addicted and people who are perverted and people who are and people who are and people who are just just put yourself in that place Jesus loves you that much and if you do not understand that in your darkest moment in your deepest sin in this place right here if you do not get the overwhelming love of Jesus for you as his dearest friend. You will never see your life change. In fact, I read this great quote in a book from James Wilder called Renovated. And he's talking about 1 Corinthians 13, a a passage of scripture that says, love is patient, it's kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not rude, it's all of these things. And it's just like, it's, it's like all the things that I'm not good at. I don't know if anybody's read that and you just kind of go, ah, oh, dude, I just stink at this. I'm just not a good Christian. James Wilder says this. He says, if you will receive love into your life, over time, out will come the things that 1 Corinthians says are true of love. That's the structure we have to learn. We don't try to do those things. We become the kind of person who does those things. If you try to do those things, it'll just kill you. But if you receive love as the principle of your life in all dimensions of your being, then you will see love. Love is kind. Love does not envy and so on, all the way down the line. And having received love, you will be transformed into a person Who loves? Men and women. I want to be transformed into a person who does the things of God. But I cannot go there being offended by God, defending myself, saying I don't have any sin. I have to sit in my sin, in the mud hole, in the the dung of all of my crud and just see, he's my friend right now. He loves me right now and he loved me so much that he went to the cross for me. I have to see it. You will not change. You will not see discernible growth. You will not experience, I will not experience the peace of God until I see that I have peace with God and incredible compassion and love for me even in the midst of my sin. But I have to see it as sin. Are you offended by God? Jesus took your offense on the cross. Receive him by faith, meaning meaning trust him in all that he is. Trust that he loves you. Call your sin what it is, the fact that you have offended God and know that he loves you in the midst of that. Can I invite the band forward here? Let's grab our communion here. And as always, we haven't mentioned this in a few weeks, but if you're at home, I just invite you to participate with us with some juice and a a cracker, some bread and something that just can signify the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Would you take a moment with me? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And would you just do some business with God? 
What's your worst sin right now? What did you do? Who did you offend? Jesus loves you. Even in the midst of that sin, the moment or the moments that you committed that, he loved you so much. He didn't stop loving you or just start loving you then. He has always loved you. And he loves you so much that he can't allow you to continue. And so he's going to love it out of you. He's going to love it out of you. So let's confess that sin to Jesus right now. Lord Jesus, I confess that. Just fill in the blank. Jesus says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread and body. Jesus says, my blood was spilled for you. This is my blood which is poured out for that sin. Let's partake of the blood.